Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. Yet another Tim May Podcast, an aptly named podcast. Don't you agree, Awesome Ward? You know I do. I know you do. That's a, that's a, that's a pre-recorded segment, ladies and gentlemen, we go through every week. Now back to reality. Uh, awesome. We're just, as you and I talk here, we're less than a day away or less than 38 hours away from signing day. <laughs> Excitement uh, abounds in, in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, correct? Uh, I don't sense that there is any excitement for National Sign Day. Crickets? Yeah. This is the um, weirdest uh, buildup to the National Sign Day, quietest buildup, um, least drama-filled buildup perhaps, depending on your perspective, since there's still an outstanding recruitment that will go up until April or May that they're, you know, critically and heavily involved in but yeah you know, I don't I don't think that there will be anything that happens on Wednesday for Ohio State um you know talk to to Berm about that as well like you know I don't I don't think Ohio State plans on signing anybody on Wednesday uh don't need to add anybody um they'll still be involved in the transfer portal and they're still trying to get uh you know the big defensive tackle the number one player in the country out of Washington State but other yeah. than that Nothing, and that's that. This used to be a a holiday for college football fans. Yeah, well, for ho- college football fans, not for us guys in the media. You remember, <laughs> I used to get up at like six thirty in the morning to get to AM. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you knew when the first. This was twenty years ago. I just was thinking about that. Man, I don't miss those days at all. <laughs> even even the real signing day, which is in December now, as you and I both uh, forecast, that was what was going to happen. You know, uh, they call it the early signing period. No, that's the real signing period anymore. And then you have these, uh, this other period in February where you can sign guys. But uh, the big-time programs pretty much put the hay in the barn in December, right? Yeah, and there's been a couple, you know, instances in the last couple of years where four or five-star recruits, you know, want to go into February. They're not planning to enroll early, uh, in which case, you know, you, you have some opportunity under a normal year to take some visits and make your final decision. You know, Nicholas yeah. Frere probably uh, recently is the most high-profile example of that for Ohio State, getting a, a, a late recruiting win to go into February. But uh, those examples are fewer and far in between. Now, if JT Tuamalau had, you know, elected to decide this week, okay, then you've got some pins and needles and uh, you're trying to wait and find out if you did enough on Wednesday. Of course, you probably find out today or tomorrow. Um, but you know there also used to be those those periods, um, you know Mike Weber like Mike Weber's recruitment going yeah. down to the wire and, and Monday and Tuesday night conversations and you know th- those days are gone and, and and frankly like you said I I don't really long to go back to them they were um, you know for Berm like that's he, he'd wait that was Christmas morning great day uh, you know I'm sure that he, his feelings are that on that are a little bit different although. You know, he also doesn't have to worry about the stress of these last couple of days going into Wednesday. But uh, it's – I think we all knew that this was going to happen when they made the rule change and instituted the early signing period, that that would be when everybody was going to do most of the heavy lifting. Yeah, Jeremy Birmingham and uh, Spencer Holbrook cover recruiting for us here at LettermanRow.com uh, about, as, about as well as anybody in the country. And uh, you're right. I mean, their, their big rush period – you know, you say this, their big rush period is heading into that December signing day, but really recruiting never stops anymore. As the, yeah. as the great Jim Trussell once said, uh, recruiting is like shaving. You miss one day, you look like a bum. 
And uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel kind of like a feel a little bit like a bummer right, right now. But uh, but I digress. Uh, we were for those of us, for those of you listening on Stitcher and uh, iTunes, etc. We were both of us were rubbing our beards. But I digress. Those of us who don't uh, want to watch on YouTube. Exactly. Exactly. The few. Few in the far. But uh but the bottom line is uh you know, JT Tumo Lau, I mean what what just give people a little bit of a taste of well what what the chances are of Ohio State getting this young man. Yeah, I, I mean I think they're I think they're pretty good. I, I think, you know, just with what the situation appears to be, this is gonna be an Ohio State Alabama clash. Uh, yeah. Not which should come as no surprise, you know, for a, a player of this caliber. Um I, I think We'll see what happens. The reason that he's pushing it back is that he wants to take a visit. The place that he wants to visit is Ohio State. You know, you, if, if he had been dead set on Alabama, no, no, no reason to wait. No reason to kick the decision to April or even May. Um, you know, he's targeting. There's a chance that this, this uh, dead period that's gone on forever will end and he will be able to visit in some capacity, maybe not the same way uh, that they traditionally work, um, maybe not officially, you know, I don't even know what they'll decide, if anything, to do to, to end this restriction. But what he yeah. would like to do is come to Columbus with his family. Uh, he obviously knows Larry Johnson, and he's talked to Ryan Day and, and the coaching staff on FaceTime and done the Zoom meetings um, and, and got that whole thing. He knows the depth chart. He knows, you know, the reputation, the development, the competition level. He knows everything there is to know about Ohio State except having set foot in Columbus with his family. And that's the final step. So um, the reason, you know, this isn't a Terrell Pryor situation. And Tim, you covered that. I wasn't around, yeah. um, you know, to get into the nitty gritty. This is not, uh, you know, a diva move from a five-star recruit, number one player in the country to want for that, want that attention uh, to make this about himself. It's to make the best decision that he can. And that's the piece of evidence that he doesn't have to weigh at this point. Um, and you can just, you know, I respect that fully. Like, give him a lot of credit for, you know, he's also in a position that not a lot of players are. Every program in the country would hold a spot for him. You know, I get that uh, that side of it as well. But uh, that's why this thing will will linger along, along for a bit. Ohio State, the best case scenario is that, you know, maybe they could have a, a spring game post-April 15th. We'll see when exactly they schedule, if they can have it where he could maybe get in the horseshoe. I don't think there'll be fans. Um, you know, I, that's getting way ahead of things we talked about yeah, last week. But, yeah. but, you know, just to, to have him see a practice potentially or even just walk through the facility, that's what they need. And, you know, Ohio State will be hoping that they have a chance to put their best foot forward at some point for this player. That, that, they would, that would really be critical for the program. Yeah, where he could walk in the footsteps of uh, legends, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, uh, Chase Young, Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard. Yeah, what? Sam, Sam Hubbard, Hubbard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's funny because uh, if JT wants to get kind of a feel for what what could be the uh, real payoff for working with Larry Johnson, for example, I just I just spoke with Sam Hubbard. Uh, he's our, my guest this week on the, on the Tim May podcast. And, uh, you know, he gives great examples of why – Maybe it would behoove uh, JT to really can seriously consider Ohio State for his next three years. You know, because you got to figure it's going to be three years, right? This kid. Right. But uh, the bottom line is, I had a nice conversation with Sam Hubbard where he touched on a lot of things, including the fact that you know, as a defensive end, 
I brought the fact, you know, he was this heat-seeking missile as a safety in high school. What was that, eight, nine years ago Oof. at Mo, and uh, came to Ohio State, grew into grew into the size of a defensive end, and then grew into the size of a defensive end who was a draft pick of the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And by the end of the year this past year, he was really blossoming, in my opinion, as a big-time player in the NFL. So, uh, you know, without further ado, let's go straight to my uh, interview with uh, Sam Hubba Hubba Hubbard. And when we come back, you and I are going to talk about some things, including Sam, including the impact Larry Johnson has had on pro football, you know, much less college football. And then we're going to talk quickly about what could be coming around the corner for Ohio State. Uh, but we'll be right back after this interview with Sam Hubbard. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Tim May Podcast for the first time ever, but I hope it won't be the last time, Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Hey, uh, you know, uh, you don't know this, but when you were a player at Ohio State, I told you some of these, but I had all kinds of nicknames for you, you know, like I am Sam Hubbard, uh, uh, Hubba Hubba, Sam Hubba Hubba Hubbard, et cetera. Uh, have you ever had a nickname that stuck with you? Um, not really. I guess my high school friends, they called me Hubs. Uh, everyone's really, I got called six in college. Um, everyone just calls me Sam, Samuel. My mom's the only one that calls me Samuel, but no nickname, really. I got you. Yeah, my mom was the only one that called me by my first name, and I'm not even going to tell you what that was, but uh, you can look it up as the old saying goes. Uh, what, you know, just give us a little update here. I want to jump into you with a, about a lot of things, but uh, number one, uh, I, I, I kind of saw this past season as sort of your coming out party a little bit. Did you, did you feel like you took major strides with the Cincinnati Bengals this past season? Well, just what's your take on that? Yeah, it was an interesting year all around. You know, a lot of unexpected things happened. Um, you know, I I feel like I played some good ball towards the end of the year as far as developing in the run game. You know, I finished number one in run stop percentage uh, as far as the run game. Uh, yep. I overcame an injury, which was really the first time I missed multiple games back-to-back in my whole career. Um, so that was something. And then, you know, I got a lot of opportunities the last eight games to rush from the outside, which I hadn't done on third down as much since back in the Larry Johnson days and really, really put together some nice pass rushes and uh, was feeling comfortable towards the end of the year. So I got a lot to build off of coming into this next coming season. So what you're telling me is Larry Johnson knows what he's talking about when it comes to Sam Hubba Hubba Hubbard. Oh yeah. He's the goat. There's no, there's no denying that he's still the goat. Hey dude, I wanted to ask you this. I had uh, James Laurinaitis on uh, last week and, uh, I want to touch on this real quick before I forget this question, because I always have a thousand questions, but I forget that one I want to ask. But, you know, you went from Ohio State where you guys were in contention for the national championship every year, one way or the other, you know what I mean, to uh, let's call it a rebuilding situation with the Bengals. How tough is that when you're not winning every week or not winning almost, you know, quite a few weeks in a row and stuff? How, how tough of a change was that for you from maybe dealing with it yeah, it's different. Like like you said, I walked into the very beginning, well, the tail end of the Marvin era and then the start of a whole nother rebuild, you know, coming from an established, you know, dynasty, Urban Meyer dynasty. Uh, yeah. It's different. And, you know, you, you, you learn a lot of good habits, winning games like that, how you get to win games like that. And the challenge of it all is to maintain those same habits that got you there while you're, you're losing and, trying to do things the right way to get to back to where you want to be winning games. So it's a, it's a grind. I would say it's a process. Um, you know, Joe's come in and given us a lot of life, Joe Burrow. 
And uh, he's kind of going through the same thing right now. Um, and, you know, we're going to come out on the other end, on top, uh, just sticking to what got us there. Can, 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 you, can you imagine being Joe Burrow? I mean, you were Sam Hubbard. You came from this skinny little guy that played safety in high school and kept blossoming, blossoming, blossoming. Everybody could see your growth, et cetera. You know, Joe Burrow, a lot of people said Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins, you know, the people are on hand because we don't get to watch practice every day in the media. But uh, they had quite the battle royale, you know, before uh, Ohio State went with Dwayne Haskins Jr. And Joe uh, took his took his uh, talents to uh, South Louisiana. I couldn't think of anything funny about Baton Rouge uh, except Baton Rouge. I guess that's pretty funny, isn't it? <laughs> you ever been to Baton Rouge, by the way? I have not. Mosquitoes and it's hot in the summer, man. That's all I got to say. But anyway, I digress. But uh, to explode on the scene like he did that that senior year, get the Heisman Trophy, and then become the number one draft pick of the NFL and walk into the locker room, what was it like when he walked into y'all's locker room? Obviously, you knew him already, but what was it? What was it? Did y'all feel like, hey, you've gotten a guy that can be a real linchpin to this program? What what, what was it? What was just sort of the take on him? I think the take was everyone was just so amazed at how he handled every situation so well. I think what Joe went through as far as being a backup for so long, having to transfer, fight, you know, fight all those years to get on the field. Um, it gave him a lot of perspective. You know, he wasn't, uh, you know, his head never got, you know, he never changed from the Joe Burrow that he always was. So he walked in from day one with the same, mentality he had where he was battling for a spot back at Ohio state. And that's just how he goes about his business and everything. And, you know, he's, he's got a commanding presence. He's, he's smart in the huddle guys. I know for offensive guys, when he would call plays and have a grasp of the offense from day one, it was uh, impressive to them. And uh, you know, the take on him is he's done everything that you'd expect and more. So I think yeah. it, the same will, carry over with this injury that he's dealing with and he's going to, he's going to come, uh, come back and we're going to have a big year next year. I'm excited about it. Yeah. I was going to say though, Sam, you know, uh, the more winners you put in a locker room, maybe the better at the atmosphere gets, right? I mean, I'm talking about winners, guys who are used to winning, who know what it takes to win, who paid the price like you, like you did, for example, at Ohio state, Von Bell sitting right there, you know, I'm sure he is a, I'm sure he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like it when teammates mess up and vice versa, probably, but you probably have the same, uh, you probably carry a same regimen about yourself. Can, can It just seemed like at the end of the year, even after losing Joe, you guys had a certain spirit about you that maybe I didn't notice a couple, three years ago with the Bengals. What, what was just your take on that? Yeah, I think that's the whole philosophy behind this coaching staff. Coach Taylor's plan is to get as many guys that are like that onto the roster as possible. You know, through free agency, they did a great job through free agency. Like you said, Von Bell's been a huge leadership addition to how we go about our business. Yeah. Uh, attacking guys in the draft that have won and know how to win and were captains. Um, it's just, you know, it's taken time, but you can really see that that's the route that they're going and it pays off because having those guys around, you know, when adversity hits, which it will 100% of the time at football, they know how to respond. Exactly. Uh, and they – they know how to, like you say, hold people accountable and hold themselves accountable, right? I mean, for yeah. example, I'm talking to you today. We're talking, we're uh, recording this in the afternoon uh, of a Monday because uh, in the morning of a Monday, Monday through Friday, you have like a what, three or four, five hour workout. I mean, it's, you know, it just turned February. What are you doing? Are you nuts? Yeah, no, I'm down here in Fort Lauderdale. I come down here 
uh, during the winter months because I got a training facility I really like. You escape the cold a little bit, uh, refresh the mind and body and get healthy. Um, but yeah, I took a week week off and started getting back doing correctives, getting my body healthy. Uh, I just love the process of you know, getting yourself mentally and physically ready for a football season. What's the most beat up thing about a defensive end at the end of a football season that you've noticed in the NFL? There's a lot of things. O-line, D-line, playing in the trenches in the NFL is uh, <laughs> physically demanding. Um, you know, playing a long NFL season and during COVID was mentally demanding. You know, I, six months I went from the facility back to my house, uh, only saw people through FaceTime and Zoom except for my girlfriend. But, uh, you know, it was a long year. But I, I would say, I mean, my usually hands get beat up pretty bad. I got a couple broken fingers, torn tendons. But, uh, you know, I, I love football. I love playing O-line, D-line. A couple of beat up fingers, torn tendons, nothing major, right? <laughs> I did dislocate my elbow this year. I tore, put my arm out, my elbow went the other way, and I ran to the sideline. Doctor popped it back in. And I was like, I think I'm good. He's like, No, 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 no. We're going in for the trace. Wow. Yeah, that's not the way. That's not the way it works, right? You know, you you limp to the uh, service station with a flat tire, and you realize uh, maybe maybe need new rims too. You know what the heck, right? Yeah. Uh, hey, Sammy. This is going to sound like a maybe a dumb question, but do you do you love football? How would you how would you put it in perspective uh, what it is that drives you from the standpoint of wanting to play? Because like I'm going to get into it with you a little bit later. Um, you know, you you could go a lot of different directions from a career standpoint if you wanted to. Right now, I mean, you could jump off now. You'd have to start you know near the bottom, or whatever, work your way up, work yourself uh, up, et cetera, in the ranks, et cetera. But uh, but I'm talking about just football. What is it about the game that can't be replaced, in your opinion, uh, in any other everyday life in, uh, situation? I think the interesting thing about football is when you really love it and love the process, it's all-encompassing. So everything you do on your daily life, um, at least for me, I'm pretty intense in person. I, football never is off my mind. You know, from your diet, how you eat, how you sleep every day, it all comes back to, you know, your performance on the field and, you know, everything that you do uh, time-wise, preparation-wise shows up on the field on Sunday. And I just love that all-encompassing aspect of everything you put in comes to fruition. And then the ultimate, when you win, you win championships, there's no better feeling. So that whole process, I just love it. And, you know, I've learned from Coach Meyer, uh, you know, what the process can do for you as far as championships and stuff like that. So it's a, uh, it's a special game. You brought the man's name up a couple of times. Now urban Myers, now the head coach of Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL. I'm not going to give you, get you to give me a prediction about Jacksonville this year. How will he be as a, as an NFL head coach in your opinion, from your uh, experience with him? Oh, he'll be, he'll be successful. There's no doubt. NFL is different. There's a, a lot of different aspects, things at play, but, you know, he, he might struggle for, you know, to get his guys, his, his culture, he wants going, but, and ultimately, you know, it comes down to being the most prepared, prepared and team that plays the hardest and he'll have those guys motivated. There's no doubt in my mind, he'll be successful. Um, so yeah, it's an, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I was going to say, unless you're stupid, you can get a team of all-stars put together, right? Is you know, and a, and a good a good set of coaches. 
but how do you turn that into a <clears throat> into a racing car that can uh, outrace everybody else is sort of the uh, the genius behind the thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's a master at that the psychological motivation. You know, getting guys to a common goal. He's uh, he's that's what he loves about the game. Do you remember ever any interaction with him where he really pushed a button that you'd never had pushed? You know, as far as a psyche goes with you. I mean, do you remember? Uh, any kind of experiences like that? That's a tough one. I mean, there's a, every day it's, you know, something yeah. motivating you. Um, I think there was one sticks out to me. It was a, my red shirt freshman year. It was before we played Virginia tech and I was going out there to uh, play defense, play my first game, college game, really. And I was on the punt protector, the shield, and, you know, you have to have your counts and stuff. It's about a week from the game. And I, like, missed my count, and someone came free for a punt in practice. It was, like, the second rep. And he unloaded on me, exploded. And I was, you know, I was so taken aback by such a, it was such a little mistake. Uh, and then he put it in perspective how you lose the game right there. And, uh, you know, ever since then, I never missed a count and took every detail like it was – that important and we're going to lose the game off it um so I, I don't know if he was strategic because i was a new guy playing in my first game thought all that out but he probably did so that's yeah what he does bottom line is he, detail is what it's all about right i mean uh uh yeah, and, and trust. And, yeah yeah detail you know you know how often do you talk to larry johnson your former defensive line coach you do you, you try to do it once a week once a month once a year i mean what's what's sort of the the stay in touch kind of situation with you guys. I mean, you know, you know, you and the Boses and all you guys. Yeah, I'm actually down here in Fort Lauderdale with the Boses. They have a place. They each have their own place right down the beach from me. But I stay. Uh, it was actually this whole off season I spent with Coach Johnson, with Jalen Holmes, Chase Young. We drove up to Columbus and would do position work with him because everything was shut down because of COVID. Coach yeah. Johnson, uh, you know, he would take the time to do two sessions a week with us, you know, just as hard as he did it in college. Um, you know, I feel like he's a coach for life. Once you play for him, that's what makes him great. But, uh, you know, I'll shoot him a text every once in a while. He'll shoot me a text, send him some clips. Um, he just, he just loves the game. I never met anybody that loves the game and loves making players so much better. So he's, you know, his phone's never off whenever I need something. That's, that's awesome. I was going to say, man, I watched a presentation of his to the uh, high school football coach association one time, you know, and Larry, when, when he's had interactions with us, kind of a low key kind of guy, you know, I mean, uh, you know, cause we don't get to see him coach very much, but oh my goodness, he lit up the room, man, with just his passion for these futile things to get off, you know, but, but just showing people how to coach the get off and, and all these things. And you're just going, but those are the little, like you're talking about with urban Meyer, those are the little details that take you from good to great. Right. I mean, uh, and, what, what is just something that just sticks with you maybe that you learned from Coach Johnson a long time ago that was a rudiment that maybe you'd never even thought of or would have, would maybe never have thought of? That I know I'm kind of hitting you sideways with it, some of these questions, but what's just something that just stands out? I think that it's not one thing because every aspect of your game from, you know, run, pass, every type of play, everything, there's always technique that goes with it. And the one thing he'll never let you do is forget your technique that, you know, we're all athletic, big, strong, fast. But <clears throat> what he makes all of us so great at is our technique. 
And as soon as we start getting lazy, you know, especially in the NFL, your technique and kind of stuff is on your own a lot of times because they're teaching you the defenses. Um, so he's really instilled all of us into the importance of technique and how you always need to sharpen your tools and your toolbox and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, do you ever uh, look in the mirror and go, my goodness, man. Uh, and think about that guy you saw in the mirror when you were in the 11th grade in high school and go, how did I get to be this guy? I mean, did, do you ever, are you ever stunned by the transformation you've been through in like seven years? <laughs> I don't think nine about years. It. I don't think about it that much, but I did actually recently just watch uh, my high school highlights for the first time in years. And that blew my mind. It's a crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. It's like you're this heat seeking missile that the coach put in the back of the defense to just go to the point of attack. Now go ahead. Yeah, no, I was always unblocked. I didn't have to take on a blocker until I got to Ohio state, which was a learning curve. But um, you know, I, it's hard to look like not just look ahead to what I want to accomplish next, but taking a moment, moment to realize what I went through and all that, the whole process of gaining 60 pounds, all that stuff, coach Mickey Marathi, uh a lot went into it. Did, did having played on the in the backside of the defense, does it help you now have an idea of what's going on? You know what I mean? Of the big picture. Now, granted, that was in high school, but I mean, does it does it give you kind of a feel for it's not just me coming off the edge? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. I think I mean we basically just played, you know, coverages where I was just the unblocked guy flying to the ball. But yeah. Um it's a different perspective funny. for sure. Whenever there's, you know, simulated pressures and stuff when I have a drop or I got an opportunity to take a blocker off a linebacker. Um, you know, I, I just have a top down view of the defense rather than just the O-line, D-line perspective. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was talking about. You know, that's funny because I was telling Nick Bosa one time, I said, you know, the beauty of playing defensive end or on the defensive line is I'm putting in perspective, a quarterback, quarterback makes three really bad throws a game and that's all anybody remembers you guys make three plays a game and that's all anybody remembers <laughs> but that's you know what I mean coming up but coming off the edge like when you force that fumble you know uh, uh coming off the edge with a swipe knocked down and and stuff in that game I mean, that that changed that game you know in, in that own little way there but uh it, it is an interesting position to play isn't it uh Sam that you can kind of a team can be kind of going down the field but then you can come off the edge make a play that can blow everything up yeah no doubt that's it's a game-changing position that's why you know you force fumbles you get sacks you get paid the big bucks and uh you know I try always pride myself on being consistent though you know play in play out playing with my technique as hard as I can because a lot of times you know guys will like you said you know they can chill all game and then make one big play and you know they uh yeah, game. But uh, I try and play play my best every play and make those game changing plays as well. I was gonna say, plus your agent gets about twelve copies of the replays of that from all different directions to, for yeah. the next negotiation period. Exactly. Uh, big... Hey, real quick, how how fun was it to watch? And I'm sure you probably got to watch at least some, at least if not all, the Ohio State Clemson game. How fun was that to watch that? You being, you know. I said to somebody one time, you know, people keep keep calling these players former Buckeyes. You guys are never former Buckeyes, you know. You're a former player at Ohio State, but you're you're never a former Buckeye. I would think the uh, the, the scarlet and gray runs deep in your veins. You know what I mean? But uh, how fun was it to watch that game and to watch Ohio State just dominate a team like that? Exactly. 
It was, yeah, it actually reminded me of the 25, I saw people saying this, but it really reminded me of that 2014 game against Alabama where I was, I was on the sideline as a redshirt watching yeah. that game too. And it just was like, when they came out, you knew no one was stopping them, no matter what team you lined up with, they were winning uh, just because of what it meant to them, what they went through, you know, what the you know, coaches had them motivated. Um, it was fun to watch, and they were just feeding off so many, so much energy. Those seniors, that guys like Justin Hilliard making plays, it was just, yeah, uh, it was fun. And our 2014 class group chat was going crazy. Um, excited about it. Seriously, it was going back and forth. Uh, how was that group chat uh, 11 days later? What was that? What was that like to watch that game? Yeah, it was tough. You know, they Alabama's a great team. I saw. Trey got hurt, and we were down some guys due to COVID. Um, they're a deep, deep team, and they, they deserve to win that game. But I know that – I already know what Coach Mick and the, the coaching staff's got it pinned up there for, for motivation for next year. Hey, what is the be- what is the genius – you brought him up. What is the genius behind Coach Mick more than anything else? What, what sets him apart, in your opinion? And, uh, you know, obviously you've got your own trainers now and stuff uh, with the Bengals and your own personal stuff, but uh, – what just sets Coach Mick apart, you think, for college football players? Yeah, I think that one of the most overlooked things in college football is their strength coach and the effect that they have on the team, the culture. Because you spend so much time with your strength and conditioning coach in the winter, winter workouts, and, uh, you know, makes the best in the business. He, he truly knows how to get inside people's heads and motivate them. Um, because he sees what you do on a day, daily basis, how hard you work. You can't fool Coach Mick. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he knows how to develop guys. He knew, he knew from the day I walked in what my whole projection, you know, 265, um, all that, everything was going to be. So he's just been doing it so long. He's so good at it. And I think the most valuable person in that program is Mickey Marotti. I was going to say, the effort – I mean, you don't just come up with a number like that, like you're talking about with him projecting you. He had to put effort into <laughs> maybe hours into like studying you, what you could be, right? Yeah, and he pulled on former players he's had. You know, he had Justin Tuck at Notre Dame. You know, he was just with so many guys and so much knowledge. And, uh, you know, he knows how to grind better than anybody. I still keep in close contact with Mickey. Yeah, I was going to say, man. Hey, uh, last couple of things. Uh I brought this up a while ago about you looking in the mirror and stuff, but uh, uh, you were going to be a lacrosse player, go to Notre Dame. Everybody knows your story, you know. I'm not going to go through your whole biography. But then Coach Meyer supposedly is watching you play dodgeball one day when he's visiting down in Moeller. Next thing you know, you're getting an offer to play football at Ohio State. Do you ever look back on that? Do you always think you would have been playing football somewhere or – do you ever look back on those kind of like moments like, wow, this really was a fork in the road? No, it definitely was. I mean, it was a, a conversation when I had my high school coach. Like, yeah, I'll think about playing football if it's a few schools. And then I don't know what happened or what they saw one day I, before I even got to school. I had my phone blown up. My coach's phone blown up. Where coach Meyer was trying to get me on the phone at like 7 a.m. one day. Um, I don't know if they had a meeting or something, but he <laughs> not stop until he got me on the phone to let me know I had an offer. Um, and after then, uh, I mean, since Ohio State was one of the first big-time schools that offered me, everyone else came on board, and 
you know, I, at that point, I was like, if I do this, it's going to be all in on football. Um, you know, there were some schools that tried to get me to do both, but it was really a fork in the road. And Coach Meyer, I put full faith in him and uh, committed to football. Didn't play lacrosse my senior year, which I still still hurts me. I would have loved yeah. that, that senior season, but uh, you know, it was worth it. I was going to say, I always wondered what Jim Brown looked like playing lacrosse because he was, a, I guess, a stud, you know, in lacrosse. Yeah, he's a legend. I, I can imagine you, the bigger you got, the more – because you always had that little speed about you, as your dad reminded me. Uh, uh, your dad, one of my favorite people I've ever met. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the bigger you got, man, I don't even know how you keep you out of the – what do you call it, the crease? I don't, know how you, I don't know how you would handle a guy like you in lacrosse. How would you handle a guy like you in lacrosse? I think that – well, actually, during the – Ohio State was in the playoffs going against Duke, who's I think his name was Miles Jones. He was like 240, this really big athletic midi that they couldn't figure out a way to defend him. They're about to just yeah. give me a long pole and let me dress up for the playoffs uh, and go out there and guard him. But uh, Coach Meyer shut that down. He um, did? Yeah, that's a true story. That, um, but yeah, I didn't never heard this story. You're kidding me. I, I mean, you actually. It yeah. was quiet, yeah. Yeah. Um, he shut so that Coach, down during Coach, spring ball. Coach Meyer told Coach Myers no freaking way. Is that what yeah. that, that basically was the uh, conversation? Yeah, end of story. That was the conversation. It was the middle of spring ball. I was thinking about it, but there didn't go go very far. Wow. Yeah. Well, it was like Greg Fry trying to play uh, baseball, and then, you know, but that's another long story. Another guy from Cincinnati. Hey, uh, last thing, uh, as you all know, I mean, I've always held you in great esteem from the standpoint of you're not just a football player. Uh, you know, uh, you're you're uh, you're your acumen when it comes to dealing with money, et cetera, you know, you're, 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 uh, uh, during, during college, you know, getting your degree, et cetera, in my opinion, sets you up with, uh, I don't know, put you in good stead about explaining to people what's going on with this GameStop thing. How would you explain it to people? How would I explain it to people? It's so a lot of people made a lot of money off it. I'm not one of them, but I've been following the situation super closely. And, uh, basically kind of like a, I don't know if you'd call it a shift. Individual investors are realizing they can take on big hedge funds guys if they all band together, they're on Reddit, um, targeting a specific stock that has a lot of short interest on it. And, uh, you know, they're banding together, throwing their money onto it. And they had them in a really tough spot where they lo- losing a lot of money. And uh, I don't know if you know about the Robin Hood thing. They shut no, down. go ahead. I know a little bit about it, but go ahead. Yeah, they shut down the ability to buy it. Right. I still don't understand. They said there was some uh, capital requirements, but usually you shut down a stock to buy or sell, and they only let you sell it, so obviously tanked it. But they're still hanging on. I, I don't know. Barstool, Dave Portnoy is leading the charge on uh, all these stocks. It's There's some crazy changing dynamics going on in the market right now. Well, what wasn't this inevitable though, Sam? When when the little when when you were able to get on the internet in a thing you hold in your hand, you know what I mean? Uh, the more the more the computer uh, world expands and contracts as far as size goes, wasn't this inevitable that people were going to figure out how to make money, uh, like doing things like this with the stock market? Yeah, especially when you got an app that lets you trade for free, you know, from your phone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean. I, some regulation will probably come of it. I don't know what will happen. No one knows what's going to happen, but uh, I think something's going to be fundamentally changed from what's going on right now. 
But how, but how, you know, I was, I was just wondering what kind of reg, regulation could come along where it doesn't look like you're trying to protect the hedge funds, the big guys, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, how, how would you play it? I'm not, I'm good thing. I'm not making any major calls. I think they might have to do something where they stop these Reddit, uh, threads with millions of people banding together, attacking single stocks. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm glad I'm not the one tasked with solving these problems, but uh, I'm, I'm staying away from these individual stocks. It's a little risky. Yeah, exactly. Hey, last question I got for you. Uh, uh, down the road, what, what do you see yourself doing when, when your football career is done? Where, where do you see yourself living? You know, you know, I talked about that once before. I saw you living somewhere in and around Wall Street. Where do you see yourself living? Working. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like I got a good amount of years in me left playing football. And, uh, you know, right now I'm just enjoying football and uh, trying to do things off the field, you know, leave the community better than I, I brought in. Um, but yeah. you know, I'm sure I'll find something eventually. But right now I'm just really enjoying where I'm at and the process. Yeah, give give people an example of the philanthropic uh, couple of things you're dealing you're you're uh, involved with and stuff, and what kind of drove you in that direction? Yeah, so I'm from Cincinnati, obviously where where I play. My mom and sister are both nurses at the hospital, and the COVID thing was when it first went down. There was a you know I saw a news story where it was about two weeks left to supply for the free store food bank, and uh, I was able to start a GoFundMe and using social media and stuff, get it up to about 80, 90 grand of donations, which is, you know, hundreds of thousands of meal meals, and then continue that on to the season, uh, pep, partnering with Pepsi. I'm, I'm the Pepsi rep for the Bengals, getting them to donate more. And uh, it's really just been an awesome partnership with me and the Free Store Food Bank. And the, this off season, I'm going to be developing my uh, nonprofit, Sam Hubbard Foundation and keep trying to do projects like that to, you know, benefit the city that raised me. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, now you know why uh, when he was at Ohio State, I, I came to be very fond of uh, Sam Hubbard. He's one of the great guys out there. He's not just thinking football. He does think football a lot, but he thinks a lot of other things too. And uh, Sam, uh, thanks for coming on the Tim May podcast, my man. Yeah, no, happy to be here. Thanks for having and- me. Tell all the boats is down there. You guys get together, cook some steaks. I'm sure you're cooking these big, thick steaks, right? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. of course. Yeah, yeah. tell them to pay for a couple of them. All right? Appreciate <laughs> it, man. I'll tell my dad you said hello as well. You got it. Sam Hubbard, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming on the Tim May Podcast. And now you see why Sam was one of my favorite people, man. He was uh, pretty much a no-nonsense guy, pretty good sense of humor. But, you know, he's about as well-rounded a young man as I've, as I've run into covering Ohio State football from his – uh, obviously, his great athletic ability, the way he's parlayed that into an NFL career, which I think is just getting started. And he, do, he does, too, as he pointed out in that interview. But then past that, you know, he's probably got a career on Wall Street, uh, pretty much wherever he wants to go. He may not, may not need Wall Street by then, though. If he gets that, if he gets that next contract that's worth uh, millions, uh, he could go a lot of places and just kind of retire. But it is funny, uh, uh, awesome, as you listen to that, you know, He's down in Florida right now working out with the Bosa brothers. And the work never stops for these guys. And then on top of that, you know, he and, uh, he and several others like Jalen Holmes, they came up and had a little clinic, I think, during the summer, uh, during the COVID situation, had a little clinic uh, during the summer with Larry Johnson, their position coach at Ohio State, the, maybe the most renowned defensive line coach in the country. And uh, 
that's just like I was talking about going into that interview, JT, to him allow, uh, boy, you know, there, there's a lot of worse mistakes you can make than picking Ohio State if you're a defensive lineman. Well, that yeah, that Rushman fraternity is, is real. Um, I know we talk about that a lot, and people might get tired of hearing about it, but those, you know, those clinics, they didn't just include those guys. You know, Tracy Sprinkle was still trying to catch yeah. on after the, you know, XFL collapsed, and it took away another opportunity for him where he was, you know, he'd made a couple big sacks and some plays there and was looking to get another shot. Then, you know, we know what happened where teams weren't really able to bring players in for quarantine and COVID and all that. But you had Jalen Holmes out there. You had Tracy Sprinkle. You had Taekwon Lewis. You had Chase yep. Young, um, you know, just in a, in a park out there in Dublin doing drills and bags with Larry Johnson. These guys know – I mean, obviously they know how they developed him when they were in college, but – they still rely on him for those those tips and tricks and tools of the trade uh, that he's been so good at for so long, and the relationship that he builds with them. You know, it's not it's not lip service just to say that he's become a, a father figure for those people. Uh, he he is like that. The impact that he continues to have on their careers long after they're gone, and they they love to be around him. Uh, they love to learn from him, uh, and it's it's really pretty cool. Uh, to see it uh, when they could go anywhere that they want they could train anywhere in the world and go down there to Fort Lauderdale or uh, the beaches in Malibu if you're Chase Young but they they go out to a playground in Dublin basically with nothing else just just their old position coach and you know that resonates I, I think you look at this tradition that they've built in that room people want to be a part of that yeah, it's kind of like if you own a Mercedes now, you know, I'm pretty much you have to go to a Mercedes dealer or a well-equipped uh, foreign <laughs> car specialist to get get your car tuned up every year. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what they're – that's kind of like their approach, in my opinion. Not that I, not that I don't want to get in on getting cars tuned up, et cetera, because, uh, <laughs> boy, I almost went right down that rabbit hole. and I'm, I'm glad I pulled – stopped myself with my arms up like, a, like in a manhole cover. Uh, to keep from going down there. But the bottom line is, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, reputation is one thing, but then follow through on that reputation. That's, you know, Larry Johnson is almost timeless right now. You know, we've seen Greg Madison retire, you know, the guy who was basically m maybe a year or two older than Larry, but they just retired from Ohio State. And, uh, uh, but Larry just keeps on keeping on, man. And of course I would too, if I was him too, because He's making more money than he's ever made in his life, too. You know, so there it behooves him to do that. But the, the reputation he's, he has developed, wow. I mean, I would just keep cashing in. And the cashing in part is not necessarily the money. It's the way these great football players still hold you in such high esteem that they can still learn from you. Yeah, and, you know, people ask that every year. It, uh, not quite as much as they did three or four years ago. You know, when is Larry Johnson going to retire? What – what will happen to Ohio State? It was used against him, you know, some negative recruiting. Uh, yeah. Just the suggestions of that for a long time. He was irritated by that. And and I'm not uh, going to put any words in his mouth, but, you know, he he really kind of took that. Remember, he, he shaved the head. He started, you know, riding that bike to down to campus. Uh, and Lost weight. Yeah, like like he hit the, you know, the fountain of youth. It's like, you, you're not going to tell me when this career is over. I'm going to decide – when I'm done and his production, his, his work with the, with the position had never dipped. Um, but you could just tell that there was sort of a new life, you know, for him uh, you know, recharge, whatever you want to call it. Um, that, that showed back up with working with these guys on down the line with those Bosa brothers and 
that yeah. unit in 2017 with, with Sam Hubbard and Taekwon Lewis and Jalen Holmes and uh, Nick Bosa and Jonathan Cooper on the way up. Um, speaking of which, like we did, we did some great synergy with uh, our Letterman Row content this week because Jonathan Cooper is making his uh, Buck IQ debut this week um, as he's down there training in Fort Lauderdale uh, after the senior bowl performance for him. So this is basically like a preseason defensive line week. And, and Larry Johnson is, is the godfather of all of that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's interesting, uh, uh, going into the, so I'm going to segue into what I want to talk to you about real quickly before we get done here. Uh, going into last season, my big question was, I thought they had some pretty good talent in the defensive secondary. Everybody got their act together. Not sure everybody did get their act together, but my big question mark was what was going to happen in the middle of the defensive line, you know? Well, Tommy Togia and Haskell Garrett stepped up big time. That's uh, being in being in the Larry Johnson program. Suddenly the switch went on for both of those guys. Not that either of them ever lacked an effort, but, boy, effectiveness, no doubt about it. <clears throat> did they miss Tommy Togia in the national championship game? No doubt about it. Uh, but there will be some young guys who got their – returning guys who got some experience there who probably will be better going into this year. But what I want to get to you real quick, uh, uh, Boston, awesome. Austin, you've got too many names, man. A-Dub. What is that one position right now where you're looking at this football team headed towards spring, if in fact they're going to have a spring? Yeah. I think they're going to have a spring. Don't you think they're going to have a spring? I do, Just yeah. yes or no there. Just yeah. yes or no. Yeah. There we go. Uh, what's that one position – uh, or, or area on the defensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, where you're taking pause right now, you're you you got to see it happen. You know what I mean? I forget the forget the lip service. I want to see yeah. it this time. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm pretty uh, bullish on the prospects in the secondary, given the talent they've got. I know that it's really popular to look back at the end of last year, and and obviously no one is making excuses for finishing number one twenty two. Or I or I shouldn't say it that way. No one is happy about that but uh, in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, but there are valid reasons for why that happened. Talent assembled, uh, that's not one of them. I think Ohio State, with a, with a more normal-ish year um, with Kerry Combs, will bounce back in a big way in the secondary. So when you lose four seniors at linebacker who had that level of production, that's one where you, I'm, I'm taking a, uh, a wait-and-see approach before – you know, who's going to line up where, what's the best role for it. We've gone through some of this with, you know, Taraja Mitchell uh, waiting for him to explode and, and how he fits in the best way for Al Washington. You know, Dallas Gant really starting to show some things last year when he got an opportunity flash, um, you know, a Cody Simon and Mitchell Melton. You know, again, it's another position where Ohio State has recruited at a very high level, but those four seniors were out there for a very long time and for very good reason. They're good. They're great players. Whatever you want to, you know, say about Tough Borland, you know, obviously he shouldn't have been covering a Heisman Trophy winner, but that wasn't the reason that that play didn't work with Ohio State's defensive scheme. There was problems elsewhere. That that's what I'm getting off on a weird tangent there because of yeah. some senior bowl yeah. coverage. But you know, those guys performed at a high level for a long time. Now, yes, Gant and Mitchell, we've been talking about them for a long time. They haven't been able to crack that rotation because of the veterans ahead of them. Those guys, you know, they'll have to do it. Uh, I think there's a, a strong likelihood that Ohio State will be involved in the transfer portal looking for a linebacker uh, with some experience. Um, I think 
the, the number one target there is pretty obvious who that would be. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. That's the unit where this, this will be the season where Al Washington is that guy that, that can really show, which he's done great work the last two years. Phenomenal. This will be the one that's all right. Okay. Here's your unit. Now you're the one that's got the preseason questions. What can you get out of it? And I think that this will be a big, big proving year for him. How much will they miss Greg Madison in a nutshell? Uh, I think he was more, more important than, than he might get credit for, you know, just because he didn't call plays and, you know, he wasn't that active in a recruiter. And so in some, in that respect, you know, if Ohio state goes younger with this position, which I expect that they will, yeah. uh, my anticipation is that there will be a promotion for Parker Fleming uh, to coach special teams. And then Matt Barnes getting a more prominent role uh, in the secondary. Uh, I believe that that is the leading option at this point for Ryan Day. We'll see uh, officially what he does. But, um, you know, I, I think in that way you might be able to get um, maybe a little bit more energy. But, that's not, again, that's, that wasn't what Greg Madison was around for. And he did what Ryan Day wanted at a high level for two years, a veteran presence, new ideas, uh, imp- helping implement a new scheme when Jeff Halfley came in, mentor coaches. He did all of that. Uh, he did everything that Ohio State could have wanted. So from that respect, um, it's not that they're missing that moving forward. I just I think they got both sides got what they wanted. Greg Madison got to show that he could still be a coordinator when he wanted that opportunity, and Michigan wouldn't give it at the end. Uh, he got to be you know win at a high level, be in championship games again, uh, and finish his career on a note that he wanted, and then you know sort of pass, maybe pass the torch off to some younger guys. And um, so I, you know it's not as if uh, this is a surprise or, you know, major blow to Ohio State. But, but certainly um, you tip your hat to Greg Madison for what he provided. You remember, you remember the uh, – I know you remember this. I'm just throwing it out there because uh, we can't just talk in code uh, for people <laughs> who are listening. But uh, remember when uh, Jim Harbaugh went, went to great lengths a couple of three times during the pre – during the Big Ten media days to talk about what a great staff he had going into 2019 – yeah. after he had lost Greg Madison and Al Washington to the team down south, uh, Ohio State. And uh, don't, you, don't you just think in their minds, even though they've never come out and really said it, that Al Washington and, and Greg Madison are kind of have a touche? Or what, 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 do you think would be, what do you think would be in Greg Madison's uh, mind in that regard? It's, yeah, I, I don't think that um, they were thrilled – with being part of Jim Harbaugh's staff and the constant uncertainty and the way that he works with people. So I, I do think that both of them would have wanted one more chance to play the game. Well, Al Washington will get that, but uh, yeah. I think Greg Madison would have wanted one more chance to go out there and, uh, you know, put to, help put together a scheme to slow down the quarterback whisperer and the speed and space. And, um, you know, I, they just – you know, part of the reason that they were available for Ryan Day was that there was a lot of indications at that time that Jim Harbaugh, you know, he'd, he'd left on a vacation. He wasn't talking to anybody. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a, you know, there was a real thought because he had been pursuing an NFL job for the last several off seasons. Whatever he says publicly, and he's his own agent and all that, it's not true. He has been trying to get an NFL job for several years. And that's why – like normally you don't jump to the other side of the rivalry. Well, Greg Madison now Washington had a great opportunity and didn't appreciate the situation that they were in with Jim Harbaugh, but that's 
especially to, true for Greg Madison because he had been there long. He, he, you know, wanted more responsibility, wanted an opportunity to continue to prove himself, and he wasn't getting it. Right. And, and he, he'd been – look, he'd been in this profession for so long and done it so well. I think he felt he earned more from more respect from that situation. And that's when I say, like, Ryan Day recognized that. And he brought in him in specifically for to give him that opportunity to pay him the proper respect and to let him teach the other coaches. That was more of his role was to work with the you know coaching the coaches, which he he still worked with the players. And Baron Browning has raved about Justin Hilliard as well, like just being around him. Yes, uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, they wanted to play the game against him again. That's not. I, I think you're absolutely right about that, Tim. I just think uh, Greg Madison is one of the more classy individuals I've ever met. You know, I've met a lot, but I mean, he's one of those guys, man. I will, I will uh, cherish having getting to be around him as little as we, <laughs> as those we do anymore in this profession. But uh, you know, and uh, you know, NFL, you know, college football, high school. I mean, whatever, whatever level, you know, he spent some time there, and uh, uh, there, those guys are few and far between anymore, man. Uh, and uh, that's why it's still cool to see Larry Johnson. You know, I mean, like we talked about with Sam Hubbard and you and I just spoke about uh, just uh, he still has that passion for the game that's, that's undeniable. Still has that passion for recruiting, which is undeniable. And, uh, you know, and that's why, you know, if you're giving any hints to anybody who's still out there considering where he might be going to school and he's a defensive lineman, you kind of go, you know, this might be, you know, there are going to be other generations come along going to wish they had jumped on this kind of opportunity to be around Larry Johnson for three or four years. And uh, so we'll see how that pans out. But uh, awesome. Thanks for what coming on. What position were you thinking about, Tim? Huh? What position were you thinking about? I gave mine with the linebacker. No, linebacker to me is absolutely it. When you think – I mean, you talk about uh, – I was going to use a really graphic term there about taking a fish and gutting it, but I won't do that. I mean, bottom line is, I mean, you're – you're talking about, like you said, not three guys. You're talking about four guys. Yeah. And Justin Hilliard, Justin Hilliard is going to play in the NFL, it looks like, you know, <laughs> based on the way the senior bowl went. I mean, just based on the way he is, well, he has played, et cetera, the last year and a half. And that was a guy that contemplated, contemplated seriously giving up football several years ago because of just a recurrence or just a rapid fire of injuries, which you wouldn't wish on anybody. Yeah. So, uh yeah, I mean, I think that's without a doubt. You hit the nail on the head. I thought you were going to say something like defensive end, you know, stepping in for Jonathan Cooper wearing that zero. You know, I mean, uh, I'm interested to see who gets the zero, or as they call it, the block O next year. That'll that'll be the uh, um, that'll be one of the interesting things of preseason, or maybe might happen in the spring. We'll see if Ryan Day wants to get leadership going fast and furious right off right out of the gate. But you know what? We're, Wasting spinning my wheels right now, awesome. Uh, but I'm, but uh, did want to let you know that you and I both thought the same thing for one of the few times in history, right there. All uh, right, I was just checking because I told you, Master, I told you, Master Teague the third was going to be the first running back off the bench behind Trey Sermon. Remember that <laughs> in the bowl game? But that's another story. Well, uh, you know, bold, bold predictions sometimes go awry. But I just, th- I just thought maybe you'd say defensive tackle because we're talking about two now, and and this is the rare no. sort of opportunity where the you can tell a true freshman there's playing time. At, like, because Ohio State and Alabama, that's not yeah. what you're selling. As Nick said, no, but I'll tell you what, you know, whenever you're, whenever, you're, whenever you're building a building, the, the, the key moment is when you get to flip the lights on for the first time and you see a light bulb go off, you know. I thought with Antoine Jackson, I saw a light bulb go off 
uh, near the end of the season last year. Uh, I think that's big time because that guy was big time potential coming out of high school. I believe he is returning, correct? Yes. I is. mean, there's a there's a there, for example, there's a name that you haven't heard a lot of, or maybe haven't thought a lot of more than anything uh, that could be one of those guys to run Vince. I mean, these guys could really step up. I mean, we saw two guys do it, and getting Haskell Garrett back gives them that leader in that middle. So uh, I think they're going to be fine there because I really think they're coached by the, the finest coach at his position in America. There you go. I said it again. All right. But you know what? Awesome, Ward. Thanks for coming on the Tim A. Podcast again. Always. And I want to thank Sam Hubba Hubba Hubbard for coming on. And, you know, he's had all kinds of nicknames in his life. I told him I had all kinds of nicknames for him when he was at Ohio State. I would say in the, uh, in the press box, uh, you know, I am Sam, Sam I am, et cetera. But, uh, you know, he's doing – He's like I said, his career is just really taking off right now. I do believe, and uh, and it's going to be interesting to see where his career is in five years because I really think he's going to be a long time, uh, one of those long time stay guys in a National Football League, which usually stands for not for long. But you know what? Uh, awesome. We'll be back a, a week from now to talk about a few more things about Ohio State football. I'll have a special guest. Uh, but until then, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. <laughs>